Welcome to Conversations with Healers, a podcast and video interview series that features intimate, soulful, and cozy conversations with self-healers and healers. Healer to healer, we dive into all aspects of self-healing and healing and being and becoming a healer. I am Damla Aktekin. I am a healer and the host of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Conversations with Healers. I am Damla Aktekin with A Drop of Om. And today I'm so excited to have Melanie Veller with me. She is a physical therapist, a board certified orthopedic clinical specialist, certified athletic trainer, certified exercise expert for aging adults. And my favorite is um, she summarizes her work as vagus nerve and human body storyteller and expert. So welcome, Melanie. Thank you, Dama. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I am too. I mean, I, I am so intrigued by what you're doing and how it all um, came to be. So tell us a little bit about your own healing story and how you sort of got to this point in this work. Sure. Well, I'll say in the, um, <clears throat> I'll maybe start with the most recent, uh, uh, I'll a crisis or like spiritual awakening <laughs> that, that uh, uh, you know, drew this out of me and then backtrack it a little bit. Um, so I, I've been a physical therapist for about 25 years or so. And I was an athletic trainer before that. And so I've been working with people's bodies for the better part of 30 years. And I have a lot of credentials. I've taken lots of courses. I have like, I've really, um, and I've done a, a mix of alternative and conventional stuff the whole way through. And about eight years ago or so, I had an awakening that left me um, really, uh, that expanded my sense of myself, I guess, <laughs> you know, and like in a way that it hadn't, that I hadn't seen myself before. And what I, in the midst of, uh, figuring that out for myself, what I was, was very clear to me is that I had been stuffing myself into this physical therapy box, like trying to fit myself into this, um, into a box. And it was like trying to put a square peg in a round hole. Like it just was not fitting. And so I took a little bit of time uh, off of my practice. And so in the midst of, of this awakening, I really came to, um, came face to face with my, the more intuitive side of what I do. And I will tell you in hindsight, I have always been fairly intuitive, but I didn't, um, but I'm really comfortable in my logic circuits. <laughs> and so, and I thought my logic and my intuition were the same thing. And so when those things got peeled apart and I always spoke to patients in metaphor, very often. And when I started, I would start describing things to them and they would be like, oh my gosh, that's so incredibly, you know, that's exactly how I'm feeling or that's exactly um, what's going on in my life. And 
as I learned to trust that movie screen in my head, a whole new world opened up to me. And it, it was very stressful in the beginning because I didn't, like, for example, one of the things that happened was uh, I was just describing this woman, you know, that I was kind of seeing in my head and that she had a, she was older and gray hair and she had on a, a pink suit with a pink orchid on her lapel. And my patient says to me, Melanie, that's my grandmother and that's the outfit we buried her in. And I had no idea that I was seeing uh, dead people on, on the movie screen inside of my head. Like that was a whole new realm of in, intuition for me. And, but as I learned to trust that and that I made the commitment to myself to be more honest with my clients about what I was perceiving with them, because I, I'll say even in hindsight, like I would, uh, I, I use very gentle techniques and I would like, if I was working on a knee, I would say, oh, you're, you know, your joint's just tight and I'm going to untangle it. But I wouldn't really go into the emotional aspect or what I was perceiving in terms of that, because that just wasn't my comfort zone or my wheelhouse. I didn't have any formal training. I had read a little bit like of Caroline Mace and, um, but you know, it just wasn't like, you know, it, it absolutely wasn't my comfort zone. And so I committed to being more honest with that. And it was very much like stepping off the edge of a cliff every single time. It's still to me a little bit like stepping off the edge of the of edge of the cliff. But what I found is that every time I stepped off the edge of the cliff, the ground showed up. And so when, um, you know, for example, when I uh, told a patient once this very early on that there was a book that she needed to get rid of, she said, I know exactly what book you're talking about and had a whole story to go along with that. And so those moments just kept, um, kept coming. And so I needed to take, ended up needing to take some time off to figure out how I wanted to present myself to the world because sort of hiding in the back of, with an office in the back of a yoga studio was not working for me. And I knew I had something bigger at hand, but I didn't really know what it was. And I think for all of the intuitive stuff that I was able to seemingly kind of pull out of thin air along with my, you know, ortho traditional orthopedic skills to really, uh, and, you know, my superpower, what I really love doing is helping people with the spiritual and stress-related underpinnings of their physical dysfunction. And I had branded myself as a stress management expert for a while, and my uh, clinical expertise is in treating the vagus nerve as a pinch nerve. And your vagus nerve is your big, uh, it's the big influencer of your body. Everything, when things go well in your body, your vagus nerve is functioning well. When you feel great, your vagus nerve is functioning spectacularly. And when you're stressed and anxious and nervous, like your vagus nerve is not functioning well. And so I had really worked with this vagal uh, paradigm for a while and expanded it and developed it and tied it all into my uh, objective physical therapy tests. And then, but I really loved this uh, spiritual underpinning of, you know, helping people with kind of what is that stress that's really underlying it? Like, let's dig into what's going on in your life and what patterns and behaviors and uh, things are you holding onto and what traumas have happened that are drive, you know, really underneath all of this so that we can clear that and then uh, get your body back to where it needs to be. And so in, uh, you know, as much as I 
could at times seemingly pull things out of thin air in a way that I hadn't really ever connected before. I knew there was a system underneath it and I needed to like, you know, I, I like logic. I like systems. I'm a clinician. I like, um, you know, kind of having guidelines for, you know, for practice and decision-making and all that kind of stuff, you know, and we're all human. Like there are certain things that work with all of us, but my background it has overwhelmingly been with the people that have not responded to traditional care. And so I have a lot of experience with people that I, uh, for, that I would affectionately say did not read the medical textbook before they showed up in the doctor's office or in my office that they, uh, you know, and I will say overwhelmingly like 50 or 60% of people read the textbook, like that they're, they'll present in a very clear way and I know exactly how it's going to go. And then there's like 30% that did not read the textbook, but I've read this textbook. Like I know, like I've seen this before. It's not the typical pattern, but I, but I can logic it. And then there's always a handful of people that last 10% or so that wrote their own textbook. And I have to figure out what's going on with them because they don't follow a typical pattern at all. And so I really was convinced that there was some, like there was some order to this and that I wasn't pulling things out of thin air, that there was some way to really give this structure. And so I took a little bit of time off and I did some reading. And one of the books that I read was Graham Hancock's Fingerprints of the Gods. And in it, he talks about how the, uh, how mythology was a mode of communicating scientific information. So for example, in the ancient Egyptian myth of Isis and Osiris are the numbers of the Earth's processional cycle. It was a way they communicated the cosmology. And there were other major myths from other cultures that had the same numbers in them. In them. They were liberal with the decimal points, but there was clearly, it was clearly their way of telling the cosmology. And so my physical therapy brain went, uh, thought, well, even though this particular number is not in that story, the earth currently is at a 23 and a half degree tilt. And I thought, oh, well, what's 23 and a half degrees from the midline of the body? And in all of my anatomy texts, as well as in, uh, I've had the chance to look at uh, real human skulls and models of ancient skulls the opening where your vagus nerve comes out the base of your skull is 23 and a half degrees from the center of where your spinal cord comes out. And I know just from my biomechanical training that normal rotation between your first and second cervical vertebrae is 47 degrees. And I know that normal left tracheobronchial angle is about 47, deg is 47 degrees and that the anterior cruciate ligament sits at 47 degrees and that normal, uh, transverse plane rotation at the foot is 23 degrees. And so there are all these like 23 and 47 degree angles that were already in my, that I knew. And so it helped, that one helped me put together that this concept that there are what I call critical angles in the body. And if that mimic the angles of the earth, the axial tilt of the earth and really and 47 degrees is the angle between the pole stars that our earth uh, points towards over thousands and thousands of years and that if those angles are not correct you are less likely to feel well the 
next part of it, really, one of the things I'd done in uh, um, reconciling what was happening to me as I was kind of falling apart, um, the was studying astrology. And so I worked with an astrologer and joined her online group. And I did, so shortly after I had read Graham Hancock's book, I did an online stress manage free online stress management uh, training. And I ended up talking about the ventricles of the brain and the ventricles in your brain make cerebral spinal fluid. And I have a favorite picture from my, an anatomy book that has, and I've showed this to patients for 20 years. I don't know, like I, you know, this is the picture that I pull out, you know, at least five or 10 times a year. It's a picture I'm very, very familiar with. And when it's a compilation of MRI images to give you a 3D picture of what the ventricles of the brain look like. And so I pulled out that, this picture in conjunction with the uh, training that I did. And I thought, oh my gosh, it looks just like the ram's horns in Aries. And in astrology, Aries rules the head. And I had just been in this space with Graham Hancock's book about how mythology was a way of scientific storytelling. You know, we just tell that story differently now. And so then I thought, well, where's the rest of it? And sure enough, the way your hyoid bone in your throat sits on top of your larynx looks just like the symbol for Taurus and Taurus rules the throat. And the aortic arch is the same shape as the symbol for Leo and Leo rules the heart. And your kidneys sit in your low back, just like a set of scales and Libra rules the kidneys. And so it works this way the whole way through the body. That, and so then you can really leverage the story to help dig into what those stress-related and spiritual underpinnings of the dysfunction are. And I've turned it into a form of energy medicine. And I found as I've worked through all of this, that it not only works in the Greco-Roman myths, it works in the Egyptian pantheon. The Vedas all tell the story of our anatomy as well. And so, you know, whether, I think some of this was probably intentional at some point and some of it was, you know, may just be happenstance because the only thing that we ever, the only rule I think we ever consistently follow is as above, so below. That we're always telling the story of what's happening uh, within us in ways that we, uh, that we don't necessarily translate into anatomical terms, but I think that it's very valuable to do that because in my experience with complicated patients, complicated chronic pain patients and others that just haven't found success is that when you treat the physical body, sometimes their story will change, but when you treat their story, the physical body always changes and that that's really the shortest path to our highest potential. Okay. I'm just going to hit pause just for a moment. Because yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sorry. That was you. a lot of... <laughs> no, no, no. It's for... I'm like, I'm absorbing it. So I want to give yeah. <laughs> a, a chance to absorb it as well. But one thing I want to mention, as soon as you mentioned the Vedas, as I was getting in touch with you and sort of contemplating mm -hmm. our, our you know, conversation, I closed my eyes and it's, you know, sometimes it's how I process this inform all of this information mm -hmm. that I'm researching. And then I, um, I kept hearing the value nerve. I was trying to remember 
what you were. Oh yeah, Vegas. Yeah, Vegas. <laughs> I know, but yeah. I kept hearing the volume nerve, and then um, I realized that uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Ayurveda. A little bit, yeah. Okay, the, so in yeah. Ayurveda, vayus are the winds of the body, mm. or uh, so there are five subdoshas of vata, the air element, mm -hmm. uh, and these the subdoshas are also called the five vayus. And for instance, one of them is the prana vayu, which governs the breath. Mm -hmm. Another one is the udana, which governs the upward movement. Another one is the apana, which governs the downward. Um, there's the digestion fire, samana vayu, and then there's the viana vayu, which is the circulation and the pulsation. And then once I, I you know, I looked it up, um, I was, you know, familiar with it, but I wanted to make sure that this related to our conversation. Yeah. I was like, this sounds like the vagus nerve is pretty much related to what the values do and, and does. I'll have to, I would love to, I have a, uh, um, you know, I don't have it, it's up in my office and I didn't, I, I just have a new office and I don't have internet up there, but I have a, so I came home to do the, do this, but there's, I have a whole book that tells how the Vedas and those, and a lot of those, you know, Ayurvedic principles are how they match the human anatomy. Yeah. Um, Which leads me to, can we get to um, a little bit of the basics? <laughs> sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> there is... Yes, Where I will start. I know I'm really good with the whole fire hose kind of thing. No, no, no. <laughs> I want to go right there with you, but I want to bring along. Yes, so no, we'll bring those. Yes, we'll do the vagus. There's yes. the vagus nerve. Like, what does it in like? Yeah, where it does, what it, yes, yes, yes. I will do all of that. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> all right. So now that I've like introduced everybody with a fire hose's worth of information, we'll um, backtrack to to the vagus nerve piece, because this is really the foundational piece of all of this. And I, um, uh, the vagus nerve is hugely important in the body. And it's also the bridge between your story and your body. And that's where the, you know, all of these, that introduction really ties together. So most of us um, are fam familiar with our vagus nerves when with our vagus nerve we get we're familiar with our vagus nerve when we get uh like for example when you're about to go out on stage to speak or to do something new and you get a lump in your throat and your palms sweat and your heart races and your digestion shifts because those are all vagus nerve mediated functions and your heart races and your palms sweat and you get the lump in your throat and neck tightness and shifted digestion because your vagus nerve has gotten dialed down and your fight or flight system has gotten dialed has been dialed up and so your vagus nerve is the major component of your parasympathetic nervous system it counters your fight and flight system it's your rest and digest it's your grace under pressure it's also involved with pleasure. So your vagus nerve goes all the way from your brainstem down to your pelvis. It is outside of your spinal cord. It's the 10th cranial nerve. And it, uh, it innervates your vocal cords, your heart, and, your and the muscles of your digestive system. 
it, it that those are the big motor components of it. It takes sensory information from your body up to your brain from most of your organs. And so uh, in the, some of the, from the research, some of the amazing things we know about the vagus nerve, um, women with complete spinal cord injuries can achieve orgasm with vagus nerve stimulation. A lot of times they'll use an ele electrical stimulator or in this, that particular study, it was uh, a, a vibrator, I believe. And, but it, you know, so we know that the vagus nerve innervates the cervix in women. And uh, in neurosurgeons will implant a vagus nerve stimulator at usually at the level of the neck for people with seizure disorders, uh, sometimes chronic pain as well, or headaches. And so it, it can be very, very effective for those. They know that vagus nerve stimulation reverses the mitochondrial defects that go with heart disease and your mitochondria are structures deep inside of your cells. So your vagus nerve doesn't directly go into the mitochondria, but it has, it influences the mitochondria to reverse those defects and to reverse heart disease. And there's some research that it helps with uh, insulin resistance in people with diabetes as well. And how well your vagus nerve functions without being electrically stimulated, just as the baseline, uh, has predictive value for people that have been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer for how long they will live. And you know, more basic tools like meditation and mindfulness and humming and singing all improve vagus nerve function as well. We know that trauma always affects the voice and the breath. You know, and very often when we experience trauma, we'll scream or our voices will shut down or we gasp, you know, so we, we, we understand well that those, you know, that vocal and breath responses go with trauma and stress. Your vocal cords and your diaphragm are horizontally oriented in the body. And so the vagus nerve gets compressed at places where you have horizontal structures. So the base of the skull, your vocal cords, the backside of your heart, which is level with your pulmonary artery and vein, the level of your diaphragm, and at the pelvic floor. And so those, those horizontal structures influence how we rotate when we move. Like they're on what's, uh, what you call the transverse plane. They're, they live on the rotational plane of the body. And nobody gets traumatized or stressed and has really great arm swing when they walk. We all lock up in that sense. And so when, uh, so by decompressing the vagus nerve and decompressing these horizontal structures in the body, you not only decompress the vagus nerve, but you decompress arteries and veins and lymph, you know, other structures that are going through those areas as well. And it's a very, very potent transformation, particularly 
you know, I'll say as an orthopedic therapist, I, uh, the vagus nerve uses the same neurotransmitter that muscles do. And so when like I decompress the vagus nerve at the base of the skull, people will very often get improved foot range of motion and improved ankle range of motion and improved knee function because you get this really beautiful systemic response and that it takes you, it dials down your fight or flight response. You know, a lot of us are living in this heightened state of stress. And so it just amplifies your, uh, your calm and your grace under pressure and all of in your pleasure pathways so that you can uh, enjoy being in your body. And it, um, you know, and it has just really fantastic effects on um, the musculoskeletal system. So Melanie, um, when you say compression, like, is it that mm -hmm. other structures are pressing on the nerve or is the nerve getting somehow tight? Like what's actually the nerves? Yeah. Yes. I would say that it, yes. So like at the level of the diaphragm, like respiratory diaphragm, I would say that the muscle of the diaphragm is compressing the nerve as it's going through the diaphragm. Uh, at the base of the skull, I would say it's more the cranial the bones, our cranial bones all move. They aren't truly fused. And this is something that the osteopathic doctor community has really um, established well. And so, um, you know, I think it's, it's a combination of muscle and uh, connective tissue that creates the tension. And, you know, I came to this in large part because the game that I, um, uh, or the challenge that I give myself when I work, when I've worked with people for years, cause you know, and, and I've, you know, when you work, when you do a head to toe evaluation on somebody that's had a chronic issue, they are very often uh, dysfunctional from their head all the way down to their toes, that they will have a myriad of things that, that are not biomechanically optimal on them. So, and, and that can be, uh, you know, that can be overwhelming as a clinician, you know, like, where do you start? <laughs> and so the, but what I really love to do is to figure out where the root of that problem is. Like, what's the thing that's screaming the loudest for attention and to treat that part of the body and then see how much of the rest of it melts away. And so over the years, I've gotten really good at that. And so I'll say a lot of people, I see a lot of people that are primarily restricted at the base of their skull and that, you know, they can have problems much further down their body. But when you decompress the vagus nerve at the base of the skull, that their knee and foot issues are instantly and dramatically better. Or sometimes if they, it's a headache issue and they're stuck at the uh, they're compressed mostly at the pelvic floor, that fixing the pelvic floor resolves their restriction at their head. And so it can go both, it can go both ways. And so, and then some people are primarily stuck in between. I want to come back to the cosmology of it. Sure. So initial. Yeah. <laughs> initial. No, I'll tell you, I love it. And can you tell us about, so when you're, and you can, this could be an example, like how you're working with someone or otherwise, like 
how do you hear the the story from you know just looking at yeah. someone and their compression points and also one sure. thing you mentioned at the beginning was that our stories in the body are reflected in our lives so yes yeah okay so um so there's a few layers to this to this answer so one of the easiest ways to think about the cosmology in the body is at the level of the diaphragm, the rest of the muscle that we breathe with. And in all human beings, the right side of the diaphragm has more muscle mass than the left. So theoretically, the right side will always win. And this just has to do with the fact that your liver is on that side and your liver's really big. And so your, you know, muscle, your body's gonna lay down more muscle tissue there. I'm sure the fact that most people are right-handed plays into this and we live in a world that accommodates right-handers much more than left-handers. And so I see a lot of people that are locked, that are tighter, locked more locked down on the right side than they are on the left. Even if their problems on the left side, they're often locked down on the right. And they live in a little bit more of a right rotation kind of posture. And I, when I think about alignment, and, and I'll tell you the exercise that I have to correct that works great for a lot of people, and that's all they need. But for the people that don't respond 100% to getting the biomechanical piece in place, when we're stuck in this right rotation position and the earth below us and the solar system above us are spinning the opposite direction, we are out of alignment on a much bigger scale. And we, you know, when, when great things happen to us, we say the stars aligned and, you know, we use these ex expressions. And I, th I think we just think too small about what alignment really means. And when you want to open up amazing things to come into your life, that there's literally this fractal alignment that happens between you and the earth and the cosmology. The way that I work with, um, for example, the way I described Aries in the head, that the ventricles of your brain look like the ram's horns in Aries. That's just a form of energy medicine that I've developed where you, I ask their body, whether I'm working with them in person or remotely, to show me the ram that's living in their head. So for example, um, the ram might, it could look really small. It could look like the where the horns are asymmetrical. Um, it could be facing the wrong way or upside down or inside out. And so there's, are these different um, patterns or it could, it could even be gone. Like when stress or trauma happens, we just jettison our energy outside of ourselves. And so it could have run away because it was because of the stress or trauma. And so, uh, so I use my perception of what's happening with that to help tell the story of what's going on with the person that like if they um, like if their ram is missing and there's other energies that go in the head and if I say like you know it's like do you feel like you've lost your mind or like you've lost your like you're just not in your head like it's you know you have a hard time organizing your thoughts and things like that and those that will all match the the energy in their head it, it very consistently works and I'm uh, in the midst right now of training my first group of uh, professionals in doing this as well. And they're mostly uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, and yoga instructors. And it works 
um, you know, it, like it works well for them too, you, you know, whether they, sometimes they see the story a little bit differently, but it connects with the person, you know, that it helps you, everybody's got their own uh, way of perceiving. And I don't think it has to look exactly like mine. Um, but when, like, if I see that somebody's uh, Leo lion is missing in their heart space, that maybe they're having a hard time being brave, you know, that you can use, the, or that they're feeling trapped, because that's part of the myth that goes with the Leo story, that uh, Heracles trapped the Nemean lion in his cave by blocking one of the entrances. And so there's different pieces of that story that real, that end up uh, uh, resonating with the individual. And so it's just been, um, it, for me, it's been such a fun way to really tap into people's stress and limitations to help them overcome it. And it's, for me, it's been very much like the super highway to it, that it just works faster and more profoundly and without re-traumatizing the individual as well. Because you, when you, because you're putting it in a story that's outside of yourself. And so your brain processes it differently. And I think from a structural, more structural level or like or energetic level, it's like speaking to your body in its original language, that this is quite literally how the cosmos is coded into us and how we are a fractal of the cosmos. And so when you get your Aries and you know, your ventricles in your brain lined up with the Aries constellation and lined up within your uh, body and with the story, then you uh, have a much more solid framework on which your soul can hang itself and you can uh, achieve a much higher level of success within your life on a physical level, on a business level, um, on a leadership level, you know, it, it just, the applications in the, uh, across different domains have been, um, uh, have been really thrilling to me just to see all the different applications, even as a performer or as a singer, uh, an actor, it will, uh, it helps your stage presence and it helps your confidence and it helps you embody a character more fully and it helps you embody your, you know, at the spiritual level, I think it really helps you embody your soul more fully and like, you, you know, who you are at the deepest level. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is when you get in touch with someone, either they're in front of you or energetically, you're sort of looking at their um, composition as well as compression. Yes. And you're turning what you, you see into a story with words, which reminds me of exactly what I do in my work as a healer, <laughs> except I use uh, very much the chakra philosophy the chakra imagery um mm -hmm. as well as archetypal imagery and any image that might pop up in my head to to describe the vibration that i'm sensing or feeling absolutely well, i know what i would do with that i know what that next step is for me but let's say that you got in touch with someone and then you you just mm -hmm. began to describe their story so what's next how do you decompress these points or how do you get them to a state of flow? Right. So if there's, 
some of that depends if I'm working with somebody virtually or in person. And either way, there's uh, like a baseline self-assessment that I like to take people through just to get in touch with their bodies and, you know, like which side is tighter than the other. I, uh, you know, some of the, I've translated a lot of my evidence-based biomechanical tests into self-assessments, um, but people are, sometimes it, it can be a little tricky. Like I have to really be a taskmaster to get people to do them correctly in a virtual format. <laughs> slowly because we all like to take the path of least resistance with movement. And so there's, it can be a little tricky sometimes to get, um, like a precise, you know, as precise of an assessment in a virtual format as it is in a uh, in-person session, but it overwhelmingly works. So there is that, so just getting in touch with kind of where your own body's tight is part of that. So then there's exercises that I use that are mostly breath-based exercises. So I put people in a specific position and then have them breathe in a specific pattern to, uh, to work with that for patients. Um, and I'll do the energy medicine or the physical release, like when they're with me in the office, to um, to amplify the release of the vagus nerve. So, for example, your vagus nerve exits the base of your skull between your temporal bone, which sits over your ear or sits under your ear, and your occipital bone, that's the back side of your head. And the technique is basically pulling, from my perspective, the technique is essentially pulling the occipital bone and the temporal bone apart from each other in a very specific, gentle way. And so I can do that physically in the office. I can also engage your temporal bone and occipital bone energetically in a virtual format to decompress that. What has been really fascinating to me, uh, because my approach was always to go do the structural correction first and then see what was left with the energy, you know, how the energy and the story was after that. What I started playing with was treating the story first. So like, for example, um, you know, if those ram's horns don't seem symmetrical, that I would just balance out, use my energy technique to balance out the ram's horns in the head. And a lot of times I would find that the then the vagus nerve compression was gone after that, that I didn't need to do the structural, the structural piece of it. So there's, so the first step is, you know, in identifying it is then correcting it so that it's more balanced and then giving them an exercise to help keep it that way. And, you know, I have exercises. I also use sounds. I've uh, tapped into the Egyptian hieroglyphics and into some Hebrew as well to help uh, because I find sound a very, very powerful tool in re uh, resolving these restrictions as well. And, um, you know, and then we talk about what's going on in their life. Like how is the story quite literally playing out in your life? Like if you're, Ram's horns are asymmetrical, say like, well, who are you locking horns with? You know, or tell me how this is playing out. You know, the, the head to me is, um, and this is my, my double Aries self talking, I know, because um, I think we all, we all do what we need most to heal, our, to heal ourselves. So I, you know, get, I get a lot of people that need a lot of head intervention. <laughs> 
um, but Ganesh lives on the underside of the brain and the Egyptian pyramids and the Sphinx live in your head as well. And the story of Isis Osiris lives in your head and the story of the temple of the Ark of the Covenant describes cranial anatomy in quite a bit of detail. So in the head, there's a number of stories that you can go through with the anatomy to really have a huge influence on the rest of the body. Okay, so um, I love all of this. <laughs> My question is that um, I love what you're doing with people and that you're teaching this mm -hmm. to other practitioners as well. Yeah. But is this something that we can do ourselves? Is this Something. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you go to my website, which is melanieweller.com, and at the bottom of the homepage, there's an opt-in box, it will send you my free vagus nerve decompression course. And it it's, teaches you how to go through a self-assessment and how to treat every compression point. I taught it last year for the uh, Australian Breast Cancer Rehab and Wellness Summit. And so that's out there. Um, it's about an hour long and that's accessible to, uh, to everybody. So you can absolutely do it yourself. Working with the um, story, I have not put out a, uh, uh, much of a course on that, but that's something I should absolutely do because you can work with stories in the body and it's really easy. It doesn't take an exceptional, you know, you don't have to have a specific skill says that a lot of it's um, just imagining, you know, for example, what that ram in your head looks like and having a conversation with it, doing a meditation around it. What does it look like? What does it want? What's happening with it? Um, and you can even do a drawing exercise around it too. One of the drawing exercises I work with people a lot on is just to draw, like, and I'll have them do this with the, with the archetype, but you know, tell me what your ram, you know, draw what your ram looks like right now, draw what your biggest obstacle is, and what would your ram look like without that restriction? That's actually you know, one of the things that I do in, in my healing sessions. I would say, draw me where you are now. Yeah. Draw me where you want to be, and then let's work on what's in between. Absolutely, yeah. And, and drawing is such an amazing way to get into your subconscious yourself, that you get into the archetype. You know, when I first uh, started drawing for myself in this way, I was having a lot of foot problems. I was running a lot and having plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendonitis. And uh, the first drawing exercise I did, nothing had feet. I didn't have feet. The birds didn't have feet. Nobody had feet. <laughs> and so it, that was very telling to me that I was not in my feet. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love this. So I want to ask you, um, so let's say that whether we work with you or someone like you mm -hmm. or we did the exercises ourselves, uh, you had mentioned that when you align yourself, like you align with the cosmos and things start mm -hmm. to happen in your life. Can you, do you have any specific examples of that from your life or your Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you the, uh, my favorite or one of the most profound success stories, you know, probably the most profound success story that I have is, uh, from a client, his video testimonials on my YouTube channel, but he, um, came to me 
and had an acute onset of hallucinations. And they were terrible hallucinations where everybody's faces were melting. He couldn't make eye contact. Um, and he was referred, we had a mutual contact and she called me and said, uh, I, I really need you to see my friend. And I said, and it worked out that, you know, can you see him today? And it worked out, it wasn't a problem. I said, sure. And that's all I knew. And, you know, that was not, um, you know, that's not, uh, I've worked a lot with psychiatric uh, disorders in terms of anxiety and depression. Uh, hallucinations was a new uh, frontier for me. And really one that made me real, that, you know, I was uncomfortable, like it was, you know, and so I was, you know, calling a, uh, my psychi primary psychiatrist contact, you know, while he was there to make sure he got set up for, you know, with a follow-up appointment. And, but, but it was very clear to me, he was so distraught that I couldn't just send him out that I thought, okay, I'll just decompress his vagus nerve and, you know, get him a little bit better place and uh, send him, you know, get him set up with other medical support. And so I decompressed his vagus nerve and did some of this archetypal work as well. Um, not exactly in the same format that I do now, but we, and within the, in the first session, we got rid of 90% of his hallucinations. And he came back one more time to kind of clean up the rest of it. And he, but after that first visit, he texted me later that night and he said, Melanie, you saved my life and not in the cute kind of way. I was really going to kill myself because this was not a situation that was sustainable for me. And he had been to some other providers that, um, that had turned him down, that did not want to see him. And, you know, I mean, that was risky for me to, you know, I could have very easily turned him away too, but I just figured, you know, I was like, I'm just gonna try and make him feel better. You know, like clearly he needs more help than what I can offer him. Like he needs to see a doctor, but it was really, um, uh, but that was amazing to me. I had no idea that I could have that effect on someone, you know, on hallucinations. And, you know, I think that speaks so powerfully, especially just, especially to the vagus nerve work. And as a practitioner, what I really learned from that session was to bring all of myself to the table that I did my clinical, I used my clinical expertise in every way that day. I also brought my intuitive skills to the table for him and it all, and the universe just really conspired to, uh, you know, to make that work for him and give him resolution. Um, one of the, um, uh, I've seen people with, you know, that have had headaches for years and years and you go and get their ram's horns right and you get their, like the bull in their throat, you know, you get their voice in the right place and, um, and it, it's just transformative. Like they get all, and, and it works on the, you know, like they're getting objective clinical improvements in their biomechanics and range of motion with it and, and even their, even their, even their strength. Um, another uh, 
uh, favorite success story of mine was from one of my colleagues who's not into alternative medicine so much at all. And she had a, uh, she had had a uterine ablation, but she was having some right abdominal, like low abdominal pain, particularly when her right hip was like when she had her knee close to her chest. And so things, you know, if she brought her knee up to her chest, it would, she would reproduce that right abdominal pain. And so Scorpio rules the reproductive system. And you can imagine that a woman's reproductive system looks very much like a scorpion where the vagina is the tail and the body is the uterus and the ovaries are the claws of the scorpion. And her scorpion tail was curled up to the right side where she was having her pain. And I didn't tell her this before I fixed it. I just, you know, I just put it down and then, you know, reflexed her knee and said that and the pain was completely gone. And, you know, and I said, oh, your scorpion tail was just all, you know, uh, was out of place. And so that's really, but that had been something that had been very persistently you know, it wasn't, it was interfering in her life in the way that like, it interfered with having sex with her husband. It interfered with squatting down to get things out of a low cupboard. And it wasn't that she couldn't do it, but it was a nuisance. Every time she did those things, it was uncomfortable. And in less than a minute, it was gone and it stayed gone. And so those, um, you know, so when I talk about treating the story, to me, that's really treating the archetype and how it's going on, you know, and what, how that's playing out in their body. One of the things that I see consistently uh, is um, that the cancer energy in the body, cancer rules the breast and the stomach. And cancer in Western astrology is represented by the crab. But I deal with it a little bit differently most of the time. So the moon rules cancer, and it's about how we nourish ourselves and how we really feed ourselves. And before, the cancer constellation, before it was represented by a crab or a crustacean, was represented by female lions or leopards. And in a lion pride, the female is the huntress. And that that, and I love the idea of having like a male and female lion in your chest, like that you've got that balance of that going on. And, but when you're not nourishing yourself properly, whether that's with food or spiritually, like for example, and this is where I, one of the places that I just find astrology so incredibly valuable in, I have a 10th house moon in my astrology chart and 10th house is career and service. And like, if I don't work at least a little bit, like I, like that's not good for me. I start to come undone. Like my work really nourishes me. And if I'm not working enough, my lion will run away to go find some food. And that ends up affecting, um, uh, affecting my, you know, affecting health. And it can be, um, you know, I think that that can be, you could possibly make a huge case around that even for, breast cancer patients, you know, and say like to really evaluate like, like how are women nourishing themselves or not that's contributing to a lot of these imbalances in their lives. I'll say for myself, even in finding like, I'll say in terms of my stomach, getting that I had 
a lot of food sensitivities that as I've come into really nourishing myself with my work and the way that the, you know, I think that is my calling that my food sensitivities have gone away. And so there are, um, you know, and even though we've talked a lot about how this works kind of from a more spiritual archetypal language, because I know we really share that love of <laughs> speaking in that way. I also distilled this down into very simple terms for uh, leader, like for leadership development and sometimes it's a starting place for people that don't have a sense of the, that are uncomfortable with the mythology or that feel like that's something they can't quite wrap their head around. So for example, if so Aries rules the head and Taurus rules the throat. So what, and Aries is very much the warrior, like the hero. And Taurus is your uh, desires, what you desire, what you value. And so when your heroics are at odds with your desires, it impairs your vision and it manifests, it can manifest physically in the head. So I'll sometimes ask people, where are you being the hero in someone else's story? You know, or where, where are your heroics at odds with your desires? And, and that's often the, you know, is, that's the essence of what's happening is that they're being a hero in someone else's story. Or across the, you know, if they're restricted across the shoulders here, it's where their emotions are at odds with their, their adaptability, which is their uh, Cancer Gemini compression. You know, that there's, they're being too rigid or they're being somebody's doormat. And... And so, and that interferes with your identity. And so you can really break these down and I've, um, well, I say I have broken these down into very, uh, you know, into a very simple, like, you know, more like I've, in a language where I've taken all the spirituality out of it as well, because I, you know, sometimes this, um, sometimes for some people, the archetype can be a hard place to start. Um, and so to really back that, you know, and to kind of then build the story in, uh, in that way. And so, and it hits people, you know, when there's a more, um, uh, you know, it really puts it in terms that are, uh, that, that are very clear, you know, and then we can build like from that basic uh, foundation, we can build into the, into the story and into the other pieces as well. And so I find that it, um, you know, so when I work with, if I work with somebody who's not as interested in going down the mythology route or just, you know, in talking with, about leadership in general, depending on my audience, you know, I'll start with those more, uh, you know, the more common language terms and then move into the piece of the story to connect it. But it's the same thing. Yeah, well, I'm very much interested in the story and archetypes. I know a lot of my listeners, but I do, I appreciate what you're bringing to the table and you're saying like the feeling is the feeling, the sensation is the mm -hmm. sensation and we can still work with that, which is the same thing that I do in my work as well. So you, you work with um, what's available to the other person as a perception and- Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and the, and the magic in healing, helping anyone, transform anything is in meeting them where they are if you can't meet them where they are then it doesn't um 
you know, it doesn't, you, like the impact isn't quite as profound. Okay. I want to come back and you mentioned it very briefly, but I would love to hear you tell the story of the Osiris and Isis. Oh, yes. I'd love to tell that story. So uh, Osiris was the king of Egypt. And I'm going to give you the very, I'm going to give you the very short version of it. The uh, Osiris was the king of Egypt and his brother Set was jealous and angry and wanted to be king. And so Set built a bejeweled coffin made precisely to Osiris's measurements and threw a big party and said, whoever this coffin fits gets to take it home. It was a big, uh, which was a uh, valued prize <laughs> for, in the story. And so Set tricked Osiris into laying down in this coffin when it, you know, it didn't, hadn't fit everybody, anyone else. And so when Osiris laid down in it, Set had his 72 soldiers shut the lid, nail it, carry it to the Nile River, and send Osiris down to his death. Osiris's wife, Isis, found out about this, found his body, took him to a cave, and breathed new life into him. Set found out about this and was furious. And so he found Osiris, chopped his body into pieces, and scattered those pieces down the Nile River. Isis again found out about this, went and collected all the pieces. She found everything except for his phallus, and for that she made a new one. She brought him back to life long enough to conceive their divine child, Horus. And then Osiris went on to be king of the underworld, which for the Egyptians were, was where all life came from and where all treasures were found. And we use dismemberment metaphors in our life all the time. We say we can't get it together. We're falling apart. Our hearts are broken. Our lives are shattered. We'd give our left arm, or right arm for something that we really want. And where Osiris and everybody else probably thought his destiny was to be the king of Egypt, his true destiny was to be the king of the underworld. And he had to literally come apart to come back together in a new way. And that's absolutely the proverbial midlife crisis, you know, that we all come apart to come back together in a new way. That's what trauma offers us is to come together in a new way. And I, um, you know, and so thinking, when I think about my traumas now, I, have really come to see them as initiations and invitations. And, you know, those weren't always instant, you know, I didn't instantly recognize them as that because trauma's, you know, trauma's trauma, it's hard. But if we can really, um, you know, I always thought, you know, I thought my destiny was as a highly credentialed physical therapist. You know, now I would say that my destiny is much more as a highly credentialed high priestess. And when I show up as the high priestess, even if I'm in a professional setting or, you know, like at a professional conference with my peers, but when I show up as the high priestess, that's when, that's really where the magic is. That my, it, it amplifies my, uh, my own techniques. 
so that transformation just happens faster. And that's true for all of us. You know, I used to really, uh, you know, years ago when I would see new uh, graduate physical therapists get people better, I'd always go like, well, I wonder how that happened. Because I was seeing such a complex load of people. And I'd be like, how does that work that you get better people better when you're one year out of school <laughs> or six months out of school? But it's so much the energy with which you show up. And when you bring all of yourself to the table, that that is a, just such a, an incredibly potent medicine. And um, when, you know, in terms of my own trauma, a lot of my childhood trauma is around lost voice. And as I've, uh, and I'll say the vocal cords have been kind of my last frontier with the vagus nerve. Like I had everywhere else mastered before I figured out how to master the voice piece. And, you know, just this week, it really hit me again, you know, and it's like, I, how powerful it is when I use sound with patients to heal themselves and have them chant hieroglyphic sounds or Hebrew sounds, you know, or like ancient language sounds to go, that go with their, like, I'll match them to the archetype uh, and to the story in the body. And it's astounding to me, uh, how powerful it is for the little girl that wasn't allowed to sing in church choir because the choir instructor used to make her mouth the words, you know, and for, um, you know, and I didn't have a voice at home or I didn't feel I had a voice. And so I didn't tell my parents that that was happening. And so I just sucked it up for a lot of years and to see how incredibly powerful my voice is to create transformation still blows my mind, especially because I have a lot of skills, you know, and to see that I can like literally speak it into being is just still mind blowing to me. And it never, it, and the best thing about this work is that it just never gets boring. It's always, always, always exciting. And it just really keeps the joy in it for me. And it makes it really, I, I would say a lot of my clients thinks they find it fun or it creates a new sense of adventure and puzzle into kind of, you know, in terms of figuring out what's going on here, you know, and after overwhelmingly spending my time with people who have felt like they're at the end of the road and there's nothing else left to explore. It's really exciting to be able to give them a glimpse of what's of that light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, Melanie, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk to you for another two hours. Uh, I want to thank you for remembering yourself, embodying the truth of you, who you are, and doing the beautiful work that you're doing. I know that you're working on a book, uh, which yeah. I'm excited about. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, the book is uh, its a more extended version of what I've told you today. It's my story and how I came to this work and, you know, woven in with patient success stories and uh, everything. So it's the extended, you know, you got the, uh, the cliff notes <laughs> today of what the book is about. And the, my working title for it at the moment is called, is your body sets that we talk about how mindset, you know, we talk about mindset a lot, but I would say that your mind will lie to you all day long. Your body tells you the truth. So this is your body set and how, uh, you know, how stories living in your body. Yeah, I love that. 
And I want to say that anyone interested in you and your work, I'm going to include a link to your website, melanievaller.com. You're also on social media. We'll include that as well. Yes. Um, and you had mentioned that you have a free vagus nerve decompression course, which I'm excited to dive into. <laughs> I'll include that as well. So thank you so, so much for being here and for the work that you do. Oh, thank you so much, Damla. This was, this was fantastic. I absolutely love sharing this and I'm excited to get it out to your listeners and on a much bigger scale very soon. Yes. And I want to thank everyone who has been listening. Thank you. <laughs> for being here. So if you're new to this podcast, Conversations with Healers, please subscribe. You can subscribe on YouTube or on your favorite podcast um, producer or publisher. And uh, I want to say that um, this is a work of love. So please share it with anyone who you feel would benefit from this or from hearing this conversation and others. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.